Good morning. My name is Hannah. And I get to share with you this morning uh, the first or the third topic in our series that we started on Now What? So today we're going to focus on grief, loss, sadness, sorrow. This is certainly a time when we all have experienced and are experiencing loss. Maybe just as little as loss of freedom, not getting to be here together this morning, loss of getting out and about. But some of us are experiencing deeper loss, loss of a job, which might mean for you loss of any kind of security of providing for your family. And maybe loss of a loved one, which I can't even quite imagine what that would be like this morning, having gone through that during this time. It's a lot. And I have to admit to you that when Pastor Tom suggested this topic for Mother's Day, I questioned the wisdom a little bit. But on second thought, there's probably no other day filled with deeper feelings, feeling of, feelings of loss, feeling of sadness, and feelings of joy. So this morning, as we already saw in the amazing video we got to share, there are a lot of different kinds of feelings that different ones of us are sitting with this morning. But one thing we all have in common is we all have mothers. She may no longer be with us. You may not even ever have had a relationship with her. Or if you do or you did, it might not be what you had hoped for. Or today you wish you could be with her. You wish that you could actually spend the days celebrating her, but because of this virus, you can't even go visit her. It's a lot of feelings. Some of us are mothers, which I get to be, and I would say probably right up there as one of the greatest joys in my life is having my children. They bring me amazing joy. But I also have to say there's probably no deeper pain that I have experienced than the ones that I experience in my relationship with my children. And many of you have experienced that. My mom died 13 years ago. My mom was an amazing mom. My mom was an amazing woman of faith. And by the way that she lived her life, she passed that faith on to me. My mom was also an over-the-top optimist. 
she also passed that on to me. And I could pretty much put a silver lining on any situation. Those of you who know me well would say, yeah, that's true. Probably even when you look at the title of this sermon, we're talking about grief. It's good grief. I actually didn't come up with that title, but I could have. Put a positive spin. Put a silver lining. Growing up in my house in Denmark, there was a saying that I heard often. Nu må du ikke være ked af det. Directly translated. Now you mustn't be sad. Or now you mustn't be sad about that. But of course, growing up, I did get sad. So when I had my saddest moments, I would go and hide in the bathroom. And I would cry. I somehow felt that there was some shame to being that sad. I shouldn't be so sad. So I chose to cry alone. But now my parents, of course, felt sadness. Of course they did. But in passing on to me the goodness of God and his amazing, loving, good plans, I somehow internalized that there wasn't a place for me to sit in my raw pain. So as we come to scripture this morning, we find an invitation to put voice to our pain, to put voice to our sadness. Come out of the closet or come out of the bathroom and feel what we feel. There are 150 psalms in the Bible, and about a third of them are songs of lament, expressing sadness, expressing pain, grief. And many of these were written by David. David was the one in the Bible who was known as the man after God's own heart. And yet he was the one who wrote many of the songs of grief and lament. David was referred to the man after God's own heart three times in the Bible. One time, way before he was even king, when he was a young shepherd boy, and Samuel the prophet came to anoint him to become the next king. And at that time, Samuel said that he was a man after God's own heart. Later, when King Saul was told by the prophet Samuel that you're going to be replaced, you are no longer going to be king, you're going to be replaced with a man after God's own heart. And then again, in the New Testament, the apostle Paul refers to David as a man after God's own heart. And yet, 
he writes a lot about sorrow, grief, and sadness. So we're going to this morning look at Psalm 13. Now the circumstances around Psalm 13 um, are circumstances that causes a lot of distress, a lot of despair for David. And there's actually two different opinions, or maybe there are more, but I only found two different opinions on what the circumstances were behind Psalm 13. One is that it was while David was being hunted by King Saul, because King Saul had become jealous of David, because people in Israel had seen David as a much greater warrior than King Saul. And they would praise David as he came into town and saying that he was greater than Saul. And so because of that, King Saul wanted to kill David. So that's one, one view of what was behind the psalm. The other one was actually his own son, Absalom, was wanting to kill David because Absalom wanted to be king and David was hiding in a cave. So either way, these were not pleasant circumstances. So this psalm has three sections. And the first one is where David is expressing his pain. So let's read Psalm 13, 1 and 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? How long? Tradition says that that David was actually hunted by Saul for seven years. And I don't know where this fell, but how long? This is getting really old. Some of us are sitting with some distress and some pain and wondering, how long? How long, Lord? And I'm, I'm hearing and I'm, I'm feeling some frustration on his part. And the first one being a frustration about God, it seems like you have forgotten about me. Really, God? Do you not even see me anymore? And then he's wrestling with his own thoughts. Do you ever find yourself thinking things that are so dark? And then you're like, I shouldn't even be thinking that. I can't even believe I'm thinking that. So I'm not going to think that anymore. And then you're thinking it again, and you're wrestling. It's like turning around, and it's, you start to spiral. You hardly even recognize yourself anymore. Who am I thinking the way I'm thinking right now? And then it goes to this deep place of heaviness. Heaviness that he says that is never lifted. Sorrow in my heart day after day. Like this deep depression. A state of just no joy. 
And then on top of that, he's experiencing betrayal. Some of you this morning have experienced betrayal. And it is a deep, deep pain. Some heavy words to start out with this morning. When you read that, when you hear that, what comes up for you? I don't know about you, but for me, there's some discomfort with that much sadness. That's a lot. That's heavy. I mustn't be so sad. I shouldn't. I really shouldn't feel so sad. What if I can't afford to feel that sad? Because I don't know how deep it's going to go. I don't know how deep the pit is. In 2004, Scott and I really felt like God had asked us to build this academy in a town nearby. And it was going to be an academy for guys coming out of lockup, young guys coming out of lockup. They were going to get, get, be able to finish their schooling. They were going to be able to get a trade. And oh my goodness, somebody gave us a piece of land. They gave it to us to build this academy. It didn't take very long in the permitting process to realize that the people in that town did not want us to build that academy there. So every week when we would go down to another town meeting for another permit, for another thing, it got more and more intense. And people started hating us. And I remember one particular night, Scott and I were driving down the highway. And every time we would pray before we went, and that particular night, we were praying. And I said, God, all I ask tonight is that you're there. All I ask is that we feel your presence. We got out of the band that night and we were walking in and people were already saying things at us like, we don't want you. And we walked in there and we sat down. Scott and I were sitting right next to each other and there was a lady sitting behind us, right in between us, and she stuck her head between us and she yelled in our ears, get out of here. We don't want you in this town. We don't want you. Get out of here. And after our part of the meeting was over, we decided to leave. The problem was that the, the entrance to the room was in the front of the room, so we had to walk up in front of all the people. And as we were walking out, people were laughing at us. When we got out on the other side of those doors, I remember turning to Scott, and I said to Scott, he wasn't there. God wasn't there. I started to spiral because that, to me, was the lowest I could get 
when I knew that God's presence was not there. And that next day, I remember standing outside in our house in Northboro on the deck. And I was saying to God, I have tried to follow you all my life. I just want to do what you want me to do. And I feel like you're a noose around my neck and that I can't just be like a normal person. And even when I try to follow you, you are not there. In that same summer, our David, who was eight years old at the time, had been sick for over a month, and I had taken him to different doctor's appointments, got different tests at the different labs, and nobody could figure out what was wrong with him. And I could not see or feel God. And I remember as I was standing out on that deck, and I was actually looking down, and I felt like I was looking into a black pit. And I remember sticking my head in the door. Scott was sitting at the counter in the kitchen, and I said to him, how sure are you that you heard God? And Scott said, I'm not. What would you say to me? What would you say to David? When others are circling the drain, I just want you to feel better. What can I do to just make you feel better? I just want to say, oh, no, 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 don't. God hasn't abandoned you. Of course he had. He doesn't abandon people. Don't feel that way. Whatever you're thinking, change your thinking. You're thinking wrong. No, get out of that pit. I want you to feel better. There's so much to be grateful for, too. It's really not as bad. It's not as bad as it could be. Those of you who were with us in the series on Mark will remember how uncomfortable the disciples were every time Jesus brought up suffering, pain, dying. Oh, no, 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 Jesus. And even at Jesus' lowest moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, come pray with me, come watch with me. They couldn't go there. They couldn't go there. They wanted to separate themselves from the pain. I can't bear not being enough. When somebody else is circling the drain, if I can't be enough, if I can't make it better, I can't bear getting close to it. One of my mentors in grief and grieving is my son David. When he was in grade school, he had a lot of pets at different times. I don't know anybody in the world who can connect more intimately with a hermit crab or whatever than David. David is a deep feeler. Probably David's favorite pet was his mouse, Keegan. I don't even remember how long he had Keegan, but he loved Keegan. 
One morning, Sarah got up and had to go into the bathroom and saw right outside of the bathroom in Keegan's cage, he was there dead. She comes running into my bedroom. She goes, Mom, Keegan died. Oh, no. What is David going to do? He's not going to be able to handle this. How are we going to, should we hide? Should we hide Keegan? What should we do? And he's not, for sure, when he finds out, he's not going to be able to handle going to school. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this is going to be just too much. Well, Sarah went into the shower, and I decided to go get David. And I said, David, before you go in and take a shower, can you just come in and sit with me in my bed? And we sat there in the bed, and I had my arm around him. I said, David, Keegan died last night. And I held him really close. And he said... Okay. And he got up and he went into the shower and he started to wail. David was crying out, Oh, Keegan, I loved you so much. I am going to miss you so much. You were the best mouse in the whole entire world. You meant so much to me. And on and on he went. And when David was done wailing, he got out, he went to school, and what David didn't need was for me to protect him from the pain. David knew how to feel and enter into his pain. The psalmist, King David, dared to express his pain. He dared to express his raw pain, and he cried out to God. Let's read verses 3 and 4. Look on me and answer, O Lord. Look to me and answer, O oh Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. David knew where to go with his pain. His honest, raw pain. He cried out to God. He begged God, look at me. Look at me, God. Give me light to my eyes. Breathe life into me. And please don't let my enemies get the best of me. You know, I wonder about why King David is referred to as a man after God's own heart. It certainly was not because he was blameless. David was a adulterer, he was a murderer, a cover-up. Could it be, 
Could it be that he was a man after God's own heart because of his authentic opening up his whole self? The good, bad, and the ugly, the deepest of pain and sorrows. In Psalm 51, David said, You desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. And in Psalm 56, you keep track of my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. David did not feel afraid to cry out to God. He felt no need to hide his tears. He had come to know God who later through Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount would say, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. What does Jesus say over and over in the Gospels? I came to those who knew they were sick, blind, hurting, mourning, not the ones who can't admit, can't afford to admit what's really going on inside. In Isaiah 53, it says about Jesus, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with bitterest grief. He can handle being in pain, and he can handle being with you in your pain and with me in my pain. So David, after he's crying out to God from the depths of his pain, there's a but. Let's read Verse five and six. But I trust in you, in your unfailing love. I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. What does that but mean? My deepest pain and grief your deepest pain and grief is not the whole story. In the midst of it, David says, I will lean into your unfailing love. That David knew. He knew God's unfailing love, not here, he knew God's unfailing love here, intimately. David knew God as his safe place. In different Psalms, he wrote, you are my hiding place, God. You are my shelter, my refuge. You know me. You formed me. The bottom won't fall out. You have rescued me. 
I trust you. For that, I will give you praise. After my lament, my circling the drain on our back porch, I went to bed and had an awful night. And I woke up the next morning and I just happened to be scheduled to talk to the kids at Children's Church that morning and speak to the youth group that night. And I had nothing. And I got up, I took my Bible and my journal, and I went out in my backyard and I cried. I cried and I cried and I cried out to God, look at me! And I cannot explain to you what happened except for all of a sudden, I felt the spirit of his presence on me and the love that he had for me. And all I could express was from the Psalm 119 where it says, I will live so I will praise you. I will live so I can praise you. That's it. That's it. The circumstances that brought despair for me and for David did not change at that point. But I believe that David was a man after God's own heart because he allowed God to know him fully, to be fully known by God, no need to hide. This psalm is an invitation to you and me. It's an invitation. Whatever grief, whatever sorrow or pain you sit with today, it's an invitation to sit with it, to be in it, to feel it, and to cry out to God. As I was preparing for this morning, I think really God reminded me of something that Olivia, who is like a daughter to me, wrote last year. And I want to share it with you. Last July, my world and my faith was shaken. I suffered a miscarriage and lost what would have been my first son. The deep sorrow and despair that followed consumed my whole being. I was angry and confused, desperate for answers, trying to make sense of my loss. I questioned God and at times blamed him. It was, in this, it was in this space that God would meet me in all my brokenness. God comforted me in my mourning. 
He reminded me that I am deeply loved. I am worthy and I am brave. He reminded me that I am needed to carry his message of hope to others. I began to experience a deep sense of peace in our quiet times. With his supernatural love and guidance, I was able to start this journey of healing. He gave me the strength I needed to move forward and newfound hope. I met a God who was far greater than I could have ever imagined. I share this with you because as a believer, there will be times when life just doesn't make sense. When you have done all the right things and yet life seems to come crashing down on you, as I move forward in my walk with God, I want others to know that there are things that God does not promise. And while confusing, they're the true blessings that offer opportunity for growth and development not possible any other way. God did not promise days without pain but he did promise strength for the day. God did not promise laughter without sorrow, but he did promise comfort for the tears. God did not promise sun without rain, but he did promise light for the way. My prayer today is that we all will recognize and embrace the potential for growth and spiritual maturity that comes through suffering and challenges instead of seeing them as mere obstacles. I did get up from that chair in my backyard that Sunday morning and I did go and speak to the kids at junior church. And as we were driving home from church that day, I had Sarah and David in the back seat and Sarah was nine at the time. And as we were driving home, she said, Mom, I heard God speak this morning. You did? Yeah, it was while you were talking. What did he say? Trust me. <laughs> 